was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What is the environment, what is the scenario that meets our eyes with all of this? It matches exactly our experience. It matches our experience. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Whenever you're going to Jerusalem, you're going up. Whenever you're leaving Jerusalem, you're going down. Jesus went up. Now, it was the, pa the Passover of the, over of the Jews was at hand. This is the four of the four Passovers that Jesus will be involved with during his public ministry. This, these are the bookends. The past, this is the first Passover, and it will be at the time of the fourth Passover, three years later, at that time that he will be crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. So his public ministry is bookended by these Passovers. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. Why? Because the Jewish leadership, Annas and Caiaphas, Annas is the actual high priest, the descendant of Aaron, who has the right to the high priesthood. His son-in-law, I think I may have shared this with you last week, his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who has no right to be the, to the high priesthood, is the actual functioning high priesthood, high priest. Why is Annas not the function? Because he offended Pontius Pilate and he got removed. And so his son-in-law, who's not a direct descendant of Aaron, as he is, is functioning as the high priest. But the temple in Jerusalem has been a den of thieves for two or three hundred years. The Jewish leadership turned it into a money machine. If you came for Passover and you brought a Passover lamb with you, somehow or other they would find a flaw in your lamb so that it was disqualified because only perfect lambs could be Passover lambs. They would find a flaw in your lamb and so they would set it aside and you would be forced to buy a one of the temple a, a lamb from the temple flock at an exorbitant price they have money changers why do they have money changers because only the temple currency 
is acceptable within the temple. So you must have the, their own currency if you're going to make an offering to God. And oh, by the way, the exchange rate is not favorable to you. <laughs> and so they have money changers there. They have, they're selling lambs, they're selling, the, and they have turned the temple, which is to be a place of pure worship, into a marketplace. And I would dare say the, the dove and the dove sellers, the pigeon sellers, the lamb sellers, the oxen sellers, they're paying a really pr pretty significant franchise price to the temple leadership for the opportunity to sell these goods at exorbitant prices to the people coming from all over the Greco-Roman world. They're coming there to worship, and they are met by this wicked system governed by the religious Jewish leadership. By the way, incidentally, the Jewish leadership are all part of, well, the ones that are in charge of the temple, the high priest. They're Sadducees. That's the sect they have all joined into. Sadducees, very conveniently, don't believe in eternal life. They believe that when they die, they die like a dog, and they, their soul goes out of existence, and so they're out of God's reach. How cool is that? God can't nail my hide for what for this wickedness I've been promoting all of my life. Isn't that convenient? Are they interested in the truth? They're not interested in the truth. He goes into the temple, and who is he? He is God the Son become flesh. This is a temple that exists for the very purpose of worshiping the triune God. They've turned it into a den of thieves, a place for them to make money, the exact opposite of what it was designed to do and be. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business when he had made a whip of cords. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Doesn't exactly fit every... <laughs> in fact, I can't think of a place where he's mild. He was meek in the biblical sense and that he had set his rights as God the Son aside. His, his omniscience, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence. He had set that, submitted himself to becoming true God and true man joined together in one person. The Nicene Creed has it right. He's not half man, half God. He's fully God, fully man. He is worthy of worship. And that temple exists for the worship of him. It's his house. It's his father's house. It's the Holy Spirit's house. And he makes a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money, the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, now by the way, he runs your sheep and oxen out, you can catch up with them. He throws the money changers' tables up, they can pick up their coins. Nobody's losing anything. And here, 
What if he had set those doves and pigeons free? They would have gone. He didn't do that. He told them, you get your birds and get them out of here. So they suffered no loss, but he is cleansing the temple of their presence. Take these away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house has eaten me up, has consumed me. Well, this is a quote from Psalm 69, a psalm of David. I would encourage you to read that psalm because what it is about, David has been, as this psalm is being written, David is ruling in Jerusalem. They have already brought the tabernacle into Jerusalem. And David absolutely earnestly wanted to build a temple, a permanent building for the Lord. And the Lord's response to David was, your heart, I love your heart, David. But there was a tradition in the Middle East, in that culture. There was the king who conquered and followed by his son, the king of peace. And we're going to follow that tradition, David. You are the king of war. But David was so earnest about doing this, he helped Solomon out a lot. <laughs> he had some warehouses built, and he started accumulating everything he could for Solomon to be able to hit the ground running on the building of the temple. Zeal for your house. Lord, zeal for your house has eaten me up. It is consuming me. I am doing this so much so that my own brothers have rejected me. Well, David is the eighth son of Jesse. <laughs> sometimes he's called, by the way, sometimes he's called the seventh son because apparently one of the sons died during the course of time and he became son number seven. But he was the one who wasn't invited to the party when Samuel came and said to his father Jesse, one of your sons has been selected by God to be the anointed king who will follow King Saul. So Jesse called his sons together, sons one through seven, and God said, no, seven times. Well, do you have any more sons? Well, there's the eighth one we keep out with the sheep. And as David walked in the door, God said, that's my man. He already was odd man out in his family, even in those days. But now he is king. He's got all this wealth coming to him because of that role. He's saving it up for the glory of the temple. So his son Solomon, and what do his brothers think about this? David, you are the king. Hello. You could really be <coughs> enriching the family. <laughs> us why aren't you using your role as king to benefit everybody around you including us why because God didn't make me king to promote my clan he made me king to serve him 
and his purposes. And he purposes to build a temple when my son takes the throne. And I'm going to make that as, I'm going to be as big a help to my son as possible. So zeal for your house has eaten me up. So much so, it says in Psalm 69, that my own brothers have rejected me. That same zeal that resided in David to build the temple resides in his descendant, Jesus of Nazareth, God the Son become flesh, the descendant of David through his legal father, Joseph, also through his mother, Mary. He is a descendant of David in both lines. The Matthew genealogy is his descent through his legal father, Joseph. The Luke genealogy is his descent through his actual mother, Mary, both from David. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Jesus is not going to allow this to happen. And then at the close of his ministry, he'll do it again. Because when his back is turned, they'll bring all that stuff back in. Because it's all about the money as far as the Jewish leadership is concerned. So he cleanses the temple. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Show us your heavenly authority that gives you the authority to do this temple cleansing. Now we find out later in the passage that in fact he performs many signs. But you know what? When somebody doesn't want to do something, no evidence is ever enough. No evidence is ever enough. One of the surprising things of John's gospel is Jesus performs hundreds or thousands of miracles. John only presents seven. Now, there's an eighth one, which is Jesus' own resurrection, but he presents seven miracles in the narrative, John chapters 1 through 12, that, that is addressed to unbelievers. Why? Because if, if, if evidence matters, these seven are enough. If evidence doesn't matter, 777 wouldn't be enough. These men actually do witness signs, but none are ever enough. None are ever enough. What sign do you show us since you do these things? And what is Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, someone whom Jesus will call the rabbi of Israel, a member of the Sanhedrin? What does he say in John chapter 3, verse, verse 2? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we, we, well, who is this we? We Jewish rulers. Know that you are a teacher from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So here is Nicodemus witnessing these signs. A member of the Sanhedrin, Jesus calls him the rabbi of Israel, and he's seeing signs that tell him you have to be from God. Why? Because evidence matters to him. Proof is proof. It doesn't matter to the other Jewish leaderships who are more interested in worshiping and serving themselves than the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob.
And so when they ask the question, what sign do you do, do you show us, since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And as the text says, with 2020 hindsight, his disciples, oh, he was speaking of his death, burial, and resurrection when he said that. Verse 20, but then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. Wait a minute. I thought that temple was built under the hundreds of years before by Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest when they came back from Babylonian captivity. What's this 46 years thing? Well, in 15 B.C. or thereabouts, Herod the Great, who was an Edomite, he wasn't even Jewish ethnically, he was made the ruler of the Jews by the Romans. Well, in order to gain favor with them, he became a he converted to Judaism, and he started a temple renovation and beautification program in 50, about 15 B.C. that now, 46 years later, is still going on. And it was still going on after this. There, the that family is putting money, money, money into the temple. Why? To gain the favor of the Jews whom they rule. And so that's where this 46 years number comes from. It's taken 40. We spent 46 years beautifying this temple. You're going to raise it up from the ground in three days? And his answer obviously referenced his own resurrection. I'll give you a proof, my resurrection. Why doesn't he give... now? He's, going, he's performing other signs. But even the resurrection sign, when that happens, what will be the response of the Jewish leadership who are attacking him now? They will, they will stay unbelievers. Because when you don't want to do something and you're left to yourself, no evidence is ever enough. But he spoke, he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Oh, the Old Testament prophecy that he would be brought forth from the dead. This is found in Psalm 16, verses 9 to 11, and... See if I can quickly turn to that. Psalm 16, verses 9 to 11. Therefore my heart is glad. This is a psalm of David. My heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you shall not leave my soul in Sheol, the abode of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. This is a thousand years before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And when this is quoted in the New Testament in another place, the apostles read, oh, David wasn't speaking of himself. He was speaking of his greater son because David was still in his tomb. He had been allowed to see corruption, but not his greater son. Not his greater son. Not 
Notice verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, so this is coinciding with what we've already read, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Show us a sign. He was showing them signs. And many believed in him when they saw the signs that he did. Notice this. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There are many people who make profession of faith in Christ, and then we wonder a few days or weeks or months, what happened to that guy? What happened to that gal? Where'd they go? They claimed to believe. They went through a process that we could witness and yet, where did they go? These people who believed, and I'll put quotes around that, believed, were not reliable in their understanding and faith. And Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. There's another place later in John's Gospel where it says a great number of Jesus' disciples left because of his to them, over-the-top claims about himself. The only one who knows absolutely, authentically, and truly who's real and who's not is God. And so we step back often in shock and amazement and horror when we see people who made perhaps a very strong powerful declaration of their faith in Christ suddenly disappear or even publicly renouncing, denouncing things that they formerly had claimed to believe. That's not new to our generation. Jesus knew whose faith to have faith in and whose faith he should not have faith in. But then, as we're going to see next week, there was a man of Nicodemus who will come to him and he will exhibit an authentic reliable faith God is instructing us here not only about the reality of Jesus ministry but of ours but of ours let's pray to him our Lord we thank you For being our shepherd. This is the shepherd of our lives, the praises and testimonies that we've heard of physical need meeting. You are the shepherd of our spirits, of our souls, of our understanding. We ask that you would enable us to receive the instruction the Holy Spirit just gave to us in a way that it really affects our outlook and what we value. We ask this of you, Good Shepherd Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and close with the simple chorus of Jesus Paid It All. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. 
He washed it white as snow. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.